Hello again, and welcome back to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. Today, we are continuing our series, Everyday God, with speaker Yong Kim leading the conversation about two kinds of laughter. Hello, thank you so much again for the invitation to lead this discussion time. We are still in the story of Abraham. Today is a special uh, chapter where the promise of God 25 years before is finally coming true. The promise is being fulfilled. So before we go into the text, as usual, let's go to the question, discussion question. Now, describe a time when someone broke a promise. How did he feel? What did you do? Describe a time when someone broke a promise. So I'll give you two minutes and we will come back. So a lot of discussions are happening. You can probably talk about this forever, but let's come back. And let's see, who would like to share what you have discussed with your partner? Anyone? Anyone would like to share what you have said? What the partner has said? Broken promises. Anyone? You can't, they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> Let's say a few people share today. I'll wait for the few people. I won't go on. Anyone? Yes, there we go, Reggie, you saved me. Um, I just said how, uh, I'm not gonna say like what the promise was, but I think what it made me do, it made me like really struggle to trust that person again. And like, I was really hesitant to say, yeah, they're gonna do this again, or how come they didn't, they didn't come through on what they said. Oh, that is so true. Let's give it up for Reggie. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, we didn't have any specific examples, but we talked about how um, you'll kind of lose trust in people in general as promises inevitably get broken throughout your life and that will lead to an increased sense of like independence, like we have to take care of ourselves, um, less likely to open up to other people about what we need um, and just take care of ourselves. That is so true, right? We lose uh, trust. Let's give it up for Heidi. Thank you. Thank you. One more person, one more person. Youth group, no? Over here, yes. Our Deborah. Um, I'm gonna go way back when I first had my son. Um, I tried not to promise him anything because I know it would break his heart because kids don't understand. So even now with my grandkids, I don't promise them anything. I just say, Grandma, see what she can do. And then I tell them that I have to pray about it, so. 
Oh, you're just like me. <laughs> Let's give it up for Deborah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's about promise of God. The whole story about Abraham is about promise that God made to Abraham. Uh, while I was studying the chapter 21, there was a common theme as I was reading, commentary, listening to sermons, a common theme. They spoke a lot about laughter. So I did a little bit of research on Abraham laughter, and I sort of formed the whole discussion around laughter. There's three laughters. Abraham laughed. Did you know that? Oh, we sort of skipped through Abraham's laugh, but Abraham laughed, and then Sarah laughs twice as a response or reaction to God's promise. And I think it tells a lot concerning our relationship with God. So let's go to our text. We will begin, we will go back a few chapters and begin with Genesis chapter 17. It's printed in front of you, if you can follow along with me. So Genesis chapter 17, verses 16 through 19. It says, now this is the Lord speaking to Abraham. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell down, fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God says, Yes. But your wife, yes, meaning he will bless Ishmael, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So Abraham laughed, but his position tells a lot. So Abraham is bowed all the way down to his face on the ground, and he laughs. And what does that laugh mean? Certainly, places in the New Testament and commentaries say that Abraham believed. Because of his faith, God reckoned him as righteous, so we know he did not seriously doubt. And I'm sure they, there are days where he doubts and he brushes off. So there are two kinds of really doubt. One, you brush it off and you move on. The other, you really struggle with it. We know that Abraham had faith. So God reckoned him righteous. So his laugh was not really a true doubt. So what is it? Why is he laughing? Saying, that, oh my God, I'm, I'm 100 years old and my wife is 90. I think I understand. One of my congregation before, um, he left us. He had, to go, uh, he had a job in Chicago. He left us. But soon after we hear news that they conceived expecting another child, and we all giggled. Why? Because he's older than me. So this is about five years ago, so he's like 46, and his wife is 44. Among Koreans, you don't have children after 40. <laughs> it's embarrassing. So we all giggling and saying, oh. And then as soon as the child was born, they bring the child all the way from Chicago and comes to our church. The baby's tiny, beautiful, I envy, I was jealous, oh my God, so pretty. But we all stood around and we were giggling and laughing at them. Yeah, because we don't have children at age 44, 46. We were blessing them and laughing at them. 
and they were laughing together with us. So imagine at age 100 and age 90, in a very similar kind of tradition and culture, if people saw a 100-year-old with a tiny baby, they'll think, that's great-grandchild. It's a little embarrassing to have a child at that age. So I think Abraham was giggling and laughing. Oh my God, I'm 100 years old. How can this be? Secondly, he mentions Ishmael, maybe Ishmael, his sort of son from Hagar, a slave from Egypt. Maybe Ishmael can take over. Did he really mean that? All along for 25 years, well, at this point it's 24, for 24 years, God said, Sarah and you will have that promised son that eventually, through that line, will have the Son of God come. So did Abraham really believe that Ishmael could be the one? I don't think so. Then why does he say these things? Again, I think I understand. Because, as I said before, Jewish culture and Korean culture is so similar. You know, I was about nine years old, sorry, sorry, ninth grade, ninth grade. And I was very good in biology, chemistry, and all kinds of science. And one day I told my mom, I'm, I'm good at these things, and it's very interesting how the body works. And my mom says, oh, but the doctors always have to see patients, sick people, sick people, all day long. They get paid a lot, but yeah, it's not worth it. So I said, oh, okay. So I never thought twice. I became a pastor. So just a few, few years ago, I mentioned it to my, my mother. I said, you know, I really thought I sh should become a, a doctor, but uh, you didn't want me to become a doctor. And she said, when did I say that? <laughs> what she really meant was, inside, she's like, wow, yeah, my son a doctor, yeah. And what comes out is, oh my God, doctor, come on. That's the old Korean culture. She did that so many times. Now I know. Now I know. I could give you many, many examples, but for the sake of time, I'll stop there. So I think, I think when, when Abraham was saying, oh, Ishmael can be the promised son, he was just being a little bit uh, humble, humble in his own mind. Yeah, it doesn't really have to be through Sarah. I'll accept Ishmael. He didn't mean it. He certainly didn't mean it. He believed what the angels said. So we can know that Abraham, with his face down on the ground, in a respectful way, giggled and laughed. Throughout the 24 years, he believed, and he had hope, and he expected what God had promised to come true. So that's his attitude. Now so let's go to the next. Now this is uh, Sarah laughing in Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 15. Where is your wife Sarah? Now clearly here the Lord came back very soon after that discussion with Abraham. And now they came back because of Sarah. So where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Abraham didn't really know where she was. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him right outside. She's listening, eavesdropping. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, now listen to this, after I'm worn out, my Lord is old, my husband is old, and will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child? Now that I'm old, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, the angel said, yes, you did laugh. I was trying to do some research as to the attitude of the angel. Was he angry? No, you did laugh. That's different from, <laughs> no, you did laugh. It's different. I read this and this and that, and I, everyone agrees that the angels were not angry. They came to console, encourage Sarah, because Sarah was having such a hard time. Look at the words of Sarah. Yeah, now that I'm worn out, now should I have this pleasure of having a child? That doesn't look, sound like Abraham. Worn out, that word is very negative. It's not just saying that I'm kind of old now, I'm kind of tired. No, I'm worn out. It's saying that I've been waiting for all this time and you did not deliver. I am tired of waiting. I'm sick and tired of waiting. Look at my body. My body's worn out. This is the kind of attitude that she had. So her laugh is not the same. It was sort of a bitterness in her laugh, that anger in her laugh, upset. She's upset God did not deliver what he had promised. So what is that really? You hear this many times, right? Oh, God wants, uh, wants us... Uh, we want God to, to fulfill whatever promise in my own time, right? We hear that many times. Exactly. Sarah, when she heard that the angels, that the Lord said, you will have a child, she expected the next year, right? Anyone would. Yeah, I'm going to have a child. 24 years pass, and every year she's saying, where is the child? Abraham is saying, yeah, child is coming. Sarah is saying, where is the child? So the bitterness comes creeping in. I'm sure there are many of you can relate to this. I have so many stories about this myself. I'm sure you have that story too. Uh, maybe you are going through it now. You are pretty sure you have, you have a heart for something and you just can't get it. God is not giving it to you. You pray and pray and pray. You know God cares for you. But it's just not happening. It's taking too long. So you feel, what? Well, sometimes, yeah, worn out. I'm tired of asking. God is not giving it to me. Oh, my God, I don't know how many times I felt that way. Just as one example, uh, we came to New Jersey. We wanted to plant a church in New Jersey. Uh, we're trying to get an apartment. They say our income is too low. Our income, uh, I was earning maybe $30,000 a year back then. It was too low for an apartment. They said, try to get a co-signer. They said, no, you can't get a co-signer. I'm sure if I visited other apartments, then I could have gotten 
in, in one of them. But I was kind of upset. Why well, I have two children, another one coming. I have no place to stay. So I say to God, God, you give me a house. Yeah, let us buy a house. I want a house. It'll help us raise a child and do ministry and all that. And then we began to live in my brother's house. We exhausted them after about a few weeks. <laughs> then we hipped up to my sister's house. We exhausted them. <laughs> then we went on to my wife's uh, parents' house. Oh, my God, we exhausted them too. <laughs> then we go back to my brother's house. It took seven months to find that house because we had just a little bit of money. We couldn't, couldn't afford. So we needed a good house but cheap. We can't find it. But after seven months, we found the house and we went in. Man, during that time, my mindset was not good. I was still a pastor full-time somewhere. I was worn out. God, everybody seems to have a house. You drive around, all houses everywhere. Where is mine? I was so upset. And then when the house came, I was so happy. Okay, we went in. It was like a rundown house. I had to do a lot of work to fix it up. I'm kind of handy. My wife would disagree, but I am. <laughs> so we fixed the house and we raised the kids. It was a great, great house. Good memories. Yeah, but I was worn out after seven months. I was Sarah, not Abraham. At that time when I decided, God is going to give me a house. Yeah, I really felt strong. God is going to give me a house. Allow us to buy a house. I should have waited with expectancy and, oh, wow, when I get that house, it's going to be so great. Instead, when is my house? When are you going to give me a house? I was just like Sarah. Do you learn? Yeah, a little bit, but then do it again a few years later. Even today sometimes, where is my church? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you never learn. We learn a little bit, but sometimes you go back. So could not judge Sarah. And I'm sure some of you feel the same way. So we see two distinct reactions to the promise, response to the promise of God. Now let's go to the, to the, to the fulfillment. To the fulfillment. Let's see. Oh, sorry. As I said, I try not to look at the notes and I forgot something. Now the angels, they call out Sarah. They could have just said, okay, and this gone on. But he, they call out Sarah. Sarah, you laughed. And they know exactly why she laughed, but she laughed quietly inside. She didn't make any sound. So Sarah says, no, I didn't. <laughs> It'll work with me, with you, with everybody else. If you don't like somebody and they say, hey, what's going on? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, it's just my personal something is going on. Right? And they believe you. <laughs> oh, but the angels came in the name of the Lord, and they have wisdom. They have power, authority. They know. You laughed, you doubted, there's some bitterness in you. And the angels explain, you know, is there anything too hard for God? Something happened there to Sarah. That's sort of a supernatural power that she witnessed, right? The angels didn't hear her, but saw her heart. That small bit of supernatural power that Sarah saw right after that, no more. Then fear came into her. Oh my God, if I keep on feeling this way and, and uh, having this attitude, maybe God really won't give me the promise. So that small fear goes in, and then after that, no more doubts. She's waiting just like Abraham. 
and soon afterwards, yes, she received. I think, I think I should stay here for just a little bit. Another illustration, um, we had a good week last week. My son, who just graduated Rutgers, um, uh, yeah, woo, <laughs> it's not easy graduating. <laughs> just graduated, and um, ever since he was a junior high school, he will argue with me. Yeah, Daddy, you said all these things. Yeah, this seemed true. Yeah, God created the world, Jesus died for it. It all seemed very true, but how do I believe it? I believe it, but I don't believe it. It's not real to me. We had the same discussion over and over and over and over throughout high school, then throughout college. Many, many years, the same discussion. And he, he read the Strobel book. He said, oh, this is a really good book. Everything is true here, but so what? I don't feel it. I don't think it, you know, it's not real to me. It may be real to you, it's not to me. So he would argue with me. And then after a while, I started worrying, like Sarah. Start worrying. When are you? When are you? God promises that your household will be saved. And I think he was saved. I know he was saved, but just the doubting Thomas, you know. He wouldn't let up. But last week, he went to a retreat. It's sort of a yearly retreat that our denomination does. And he usually don't like to go. He went so many years and, oh, I'm tired of it. I'm busy. I don't want to go. But this year, he said he tried to finish everything quick so that he could go. I said, what? You want to go? He said, yes, I want to go this time. He comes back and I say, how's the retreat? He said, eh, it's all right. Some of the kids were really touched by the gospel, so it's good. But it was so good to me. He said, as he was praying, as he was praying, this emotion, this compassion, this empathy, all this emotion came as I was thinking about these youth groups and, and my friends. And he was crying, he said. He said, no, no, not those kind of the tears. Coming. He was just wailing. And then he thought to himself, wait a minute, who is this? <laughs> who is this? Who's doing this? This is not me. I never felt this in my life. So then he concludes, wow, this is God. This is the Spirit. This is Jesus. And then he explains it happened again. And a young lady, a teenager, she was abused, and they all gathered to pray for her. And then again it happened. She was just crying out to God and feeling that compassion for her. Then he concludes again, well, this must be God, not me. Interestingly, I was 23, he's 22 now. I was 23, I experienced the same thing. I concluded the same thing. For everyone is different. Abraham didn't really need that. For some of us, you know, who, yeah, you're a believer, you're a follower, but always have this doubt. Pray for that small miracle, for that small demonstration of God's power. And then your heart simply changes and you don't doubt again. He says, I don't think I'm going to doubt again. I'm not going to have this argument with you again. A small demonstration and then we're okay. Pray for it. Definitely he will give it to you. So let's move on. Let's move on to the time now that the promise is fulfilled. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he has said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son 
Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great, great feast. Now, Isaac means laughter. God told them to name the child Isaac. So now, Sarah laughs. Now, this is the genuine laugh that all of you will experience when the promise, promise is fulfilled. You could grumble all you want, but when the promise is revealed, then, oh my God, thank God, everybody's happy. No exceptions. But Sarah, from that point, Angels called her out. From that point on, her heart was hopeful. And when the child came, she was happy. There was a laughter. Now and then, there is really two kinds of laughter there, right? The one with bitterness and the one with true hope and joy. Who would you like to be? Of course, we want to be Abraham. I want to be Abraham all the time. Sometimes it doesn't work, but we pursue it. If I'm Sarah right now, yeah, maybe today is the right day. Maybe today is the right day God changes your heart. It takes sort of a supernatural power of God to really change your heart. To complaining, when are you coming to? Wow, God is going to give me to huge different things. Now, I might have given you this example before. I love this example. My, my daughter is not here, so I'm going to make fun of her a little bit. <laughs> now... I might have shared this before, but it fits this context so well. So long ago, 10 years ago, even more, we went to Disney World, and we would tell her really early, like months, months early in the, in the winter, said, we're going to Disney World in the summer, and uh, we're going to do this and this and that, we're going to have so much fun, and my wife would puff it up a little bit, and the two boys, oh, yeah, 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 fine, fine, we're going we're gonna, to, and my daughter picked it up, and yeah, we're going to Disney World. Yeah, I can't wait to go to Disney World. And she would say, yeah, I can't wait, I can't wait. Can you wait, can you wait? That's not funny. <laughs> when she said that first, I was so funny <laughs> laughing for minutes. Anyway, we could just wait, you know, tell her the day, oh, we're going to Disney World, and she'd be happy. She was happy for six months. <laughs> the positive side. Abraham was hopeful, thinking of that day for 25 years. That's a good, good 25 years. If we start complaining, when are we going? When are we going? Why aren't we there already? Then those 25 years becomes terrible. You know, your heart is bitter, angry. When is this going to happen? Now we have to put this in a larger context, right? story of Abraham is within a large context. The son that Abraham was waiting is really the Jesus Christ, the true son waiting for the son. The kings that the, that the angels promised was really Jesus Christ, represents Jesus, the true king. And now today we wait for the Jesus, the king, to come back again. How do we wait? 
And I want to explain a little bit about this theology called the covenant theology. Is there really a theology of promise? It says that everything in the Bible is about promise between two people, two parties. And when I first read this, it, it seemed a little weird. I thought the Bible was about salvation. Yes, it is. But it's within the context of promise. So I want to explain that a little bit to see a bigger picture, bigger picture than just the, f the family of Abraham. Now, when you first get married, yeah, Colleen and uh, Tim is here. I don't see them. Where are they? <laughs> Colleen, I guess, is uh, somewhere else. So, yeah, she's, yeah. Anyway, when two people get married, you know, they confess to one another, right? Yeah, I will hold you in my heart, you know, until when, uh, what's the phrase? Death do us part, right? They both say it. It's a promise. Marriage is a promise. When you have your first child, the parents have to promise them. It's an unsaid, understood promise that they will take care of the child despite whatever circumstances. They will sacrifice for the child. And the baby is born for the next few months, yeah, that sacrifice is going to be elevated. Every few hours you got to feed, even at night. You know, the wife's exhausted, mother is tired, yeah, but she gets up and goo goo gaga loves, feeds the baby and puts in not one day, not two days, for weeks and weeks and months and months. Yeah, for, e for years, for the rest of their lives, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a huge promise. And in turn, what does the son and the daughter promise? To care for them, to honor them, to respect them. It's a covenant. When you go to work, there's a covenant right there with your boss. You, you work eight hours, ten hours, and they promise to pay you. It's a covenant. So every relationship seems like, yeah, a covenant between two people. So as I was thinking about this thing, there's nothing in this world that's not within a covenant. So going to God. So God, when he created Adam and Eve, made a promise to Adam. I will give you everything. I will keep you happy, everything you can possibly have in order to be happy. And Adam and Eve promised not to touch or eat that fruit, fruit of knowledge of good and evil. It was a promise. And then when God gave the law to Moses, God said, I'll take care of you like a father. I'll take care of you, love you, and have compassion for you. And then you obey my rules, a covenant. But the problem is, you and I cannot keep that law, can we? We cannot keep our part of the bargain. We promised, but we cannot keep it because the law is, the standard is too high. First, Adam broke the promise. And then for us, we still break the promise. So what's going on? You know, the consequences of breaking a promise is devastating, right? Devastating. What happens if a husband and wife won't break the promise? What happens? One goes and commits adultery. What happens to the family? It destroys the family, husband and wife, and the children destroys it. And as a single parent, you have to really work doubly hard to care for the child. It's a difficult, difficult situation. 
And every, every promise, if you break it, there is a devastating, difficult consequences. Between God and us, if we break this promise, the, the consequences is death. It's written in the Bible everywhere. But we did break the promise against God. What about God? God could just lift this promise and let you go and, yeah, let you die and that's it. But remember, a guest pastor came and described the carcass, dividing the carcass in half, putting it in two aisles, and God, in the form of fire, went through the carcass. What those things represent is two parties that have to walk together. And then, if any one of them breaks the promise, shall you be like the carcass. But God goes through it alone without Abraham. And he said that only God is responsible and not Abraham. How could that be? That's when Jesus comes in. All the devastating consequences of broken promises Jesus took and he died on the cross so now what happens is we break promises left and right every day right some say we sin 10,000 times a day I don't know I can't count right but I do understand we sin all the time our minds our hearts our actions our words but the consequences are not there. Between God and us, there's no consequences. Jesus took it all. So all we have to do is simply to follow Jesus. Say we make a mistake, we say, God, I'm sorry. When we sin against someone, we go to that person and say, forgive me. That's all he requires. There's no consequences. God will not judge you, condemn you, ask you for the price. That's where we are. Isn't that a great news? All we have to do is now wait for Jesus to return or for us to go to Jesus, right? So how are we going to do that until that time? Hopeful, joyful. Yeah, the day is coming. and This is what I'm going to do when the day comes. That's where we are. Blessed people who will does not have to face the consequences of breaking the promise. Doesn't mean that you go, go out there and do anything you want, right? Yeah? God gave us a new heart, a new spirit, that now we are able to obey Him. We are able to keep our side of the promise. Not all, not perfectly, but some of it. And as we grow in faith, we get to keep more and more of his promises until the time when we meet Jesus, we will keep his promise 100%. It will be a wonderful relationship, keeping promises with each other.